You like Fireboy? I do. You're listening to Your Tables on Fire. A weekly conversation with the hottest game designers on Kickstarter. Here comes your host, Jeff Beck. Hello, hello. Thanks for tuning in to Your Tables on Fire. This is episode number 22. All right. With me today, we have two very special guests. We have Sean Epperson and Brander Roulette, a.k.a. Badger, the founders of Thing 12 Games and the creators of Dice of Crowns. Badger and Sean, welcome to Your Tables on Fire. All right. Thank you. Hey, thanks for having us on. Thanks for coming on. Glad we could make this work. Uh, why don't you two take a minute and just introduce yourselves? Sean, you want me to go first? Yeah, yeah, go ahead. Uh, well, I'm Badger. Um, I am relatively new to the tabletop gaming industry, but I've been in the video game industry for uh, over 10 years. Uh, I'm a QA manager currently at, my, at a casual games company. And um, yeah, that's me. <laughs> Short and sweet. I like it. Yep. Uh, I've been in, this is Sean Epperson, uh, I'm actually here at Zulu's Games in Bothell, Washington, uh, one of our local game stores, they're a pretty cool place that just opened up recently, but uh, I've been in the video game industry and games industry in general for about 16 years, working mostly as a producer with some light designer stuff, and uh, working in my off time uh, as co-creator of Think 12 Games with my buddy Sean Harold and uh, working on you know different designs for games for the last, I don't know, I think we're going on our second year now. Mm. So this is not Thing 12's first game? No. We actually had a different game that uh, we had put out on Kickstarter uh, last year, and we only hit 40% of our funding, uh, so we were looking into you know what we could actually do to make it a more desirable thing that people would want to back and fund because the game was really fun. People really liked it whenever we did demos. Uh, and while we were in the process of working through that, that's when uh, Badger had approached me and about his game, that uh, Dice of Crowns. And so we're like, you know, this would be a nice thing to, to have as a backup in case Dirty Cops doesn't fund, then, you know, we can do Badger's game and, and put this out and, and uh, you know, it's, it's a really fun game, it's really captivating, and it's uh, a lower price point, and we think people would really dig it. Mm -hmm. Well, let's take a step back for a moment and tell us, how did you get into gaming in the first place? Go ahead, Badger. Uh, gaming... Uh, I have been gaming since very, very young. Uh, there was always D&D back in the way back, but there's always... Games have always been part of it. Um... When uh, I became, uh, or when I had a family, and I have a son, and we like to get together and play games as well, it's fun and interactive, it's a good way to, to hang out with people you know, but just, you know, playing games with your family is a lot of fun, and I enjoy that a lot, which has sort of pushed me more recently into getting deeper and deeper into games, you know, into tabletop, and like then, then into designing games, because I can never leave well enough alone, um, but that's been a lot of it. Uh, what got me into games? Um, gosh, I, I, I guess I've been playing games for you know kind of all my life in one form or another. Whether it was uh, doing RPGs like uh, D D and D and whatnot, 
mm-hmm. or doing uh, you know tabletop games, you know working on DS and handheld games and iPhone games, stuff like that. So uh, this is just a, a natural extension to what I'm really passionate about, uh, just creating opportunities for people to have fun. There's also like a really it's like a kind of a this crazy renaissance going on right now with board games in general that there's we're we're so far beyond monopoly and risk and all those other games um now that there's just and so thank many, goodness for that oh i know it is it's amazing <laughs> but there's so many cool games coming out i think when i finally when i discovered uh forbidden uh, island with my friends that mm-hmm. was a, a huge awakening uh because it was like whoa this is really different this is a lot of fun plus we're not competing against each other which our little friend group doesn't really like like munchkins we're terrible at munchkin because we're like oh i'm too sorry <laughs> uh but co-op <laughs> really more of our jam you mentioned co-op what else do you look for when you're thinking about hey i want to pull this game off the shelf what catches your eye um me i am attracted to simplicity not necessarily in like abstract games but if i can pick up the game and absorb the instructions pretty quickly and then get playing that's a good thing uh like for example this this afternoon sean and i were having lunch and we were trying to play uh tiny epic galaxies and we spent a lot of time trying to figure out what we were doing and then once we got playing it was a little more interesting and fun but that kind of it took too long to get going mm-hmm. um and so setup times, like low setup times, quick, get in. I don't have a ton of time at a stretch, so quick, uh, fun games are, are definitely what I look for, like quick half-hour games generally. I do enjoy the bigger games, and when I can fit those in, I do, but I do get attracted to the smaller, not as deep maybe, but uh, more interesting and scoped. Uh, myself, I'm I'm a sucker for theme. Uh, if a game has a really captivating theme, um, I'll go ahead and you know invest my time into it and check it out. Uh, if the mechanics you know behind it don't really back it up, I might be willing to give it a little bit of a you know of a pass. Like, well, okay, you know the the gameplay is okay, but the theme makes up for it. Uh, yeah, I just I got to have that that thematic experience. Uh, is there a specific theme that catches your eye? Anything that's, uh, I guess, kind of fantasy-oriented. Uh, so whether it's, um, like, I was, I was a long-time Magic player, love Magic a lot. You know, I love that that fantasy world that they've created. Uh, you know, the, the fantasy elements that are kind of uh, in this game as well. Uh, in Dirty Cops, we had a, a fantastic world that was populated by these, like, creature-like people. You know, stuff that, that's outside of the, of the normal uh, for me is what... Kind of piques my interest. I'm a I'm a sucker for sci-fi. I, sci-fi is really my jam. Uh, so if I see a good sci-fi game, that's one of those ones where I'll forgive mechanic for for, for a good theme is in is in the sci-fi <laughs> genres. <laughs> well, you know, uh, but the sci-fi category is so broad. You don't need to forgive mechanic because there's a lot of great games with great mechanics that are in the sci-fi category. That's true. That's true. And there's a lot to pick from. Um, so. Think back for me and see if you can come up with a story from, you know, maybe when you were younger, or even if it's recent, that's okay, of a game that just went terribly wrong. <laughs> oh, yeah, so I got one. I, I just had to quiz my son over here. Uh, so <laughs> I mentioned earlier Munchkin. Um, we had our friends over, so really good friends of ours, um, and we, were, we got Munchkin out and we were playing it, and we're... We're just not 
aggressive in our gaming. And so we were trying to play Munchkin and, and you know, we'd be like, oh, oh, I'm sorry, I'll take that back. Or, oh, here, you can borrow my armor. You know, and it was just like we were completely <laughs> doing Munchkin the wrong way. You know, whereas, you know, some a lot of people like really to just kind of take their opponents down and everything like that. Right. We ended up going, uh, I guess it's okay. Because <laughs> it just really wasn't our thing. And it was just kind of a miserable failure. I mean, if you're going after <laughs> each other, then then it's fun. But if you're, everybody's being polite to each other, you're just you're not doing Munchkin right. Polite Munchkin. You know, they have so many different themes, Munchkin themes. Polite Munchkin could be their next one. Yeah, they should. They've got <laughs> just about everything else. Exactly. That's well. That's another one that theme sucked me in. I got Nightmare Before Christmas Munchkin, even though I'm not a huge fan of Munchkin, but it was Nightmare Before Christmas, so I had to buy it. <laughs> yeah, they're good at that. Yeah, I think mine uh, actually was fairly recent. Uh, I was at a con down in Portland, and we were uh, trying out one of the uh, Cryptozoic deck builders, uh, Forever Evil. And the player that was to my left was um, getting very upset because he felt like I was targeting him, but he was making himself a threat. So, and I was trying to explain that to him, that, like, this isn't personal, like, we're, we're playing a game, like, you're you're making yourself a target, so I sort of have to go after you. You're making yourself a very, like, lucrative target for me, so I have to go after you. Like, it, that's just how the game works. And we're playing Forever Evil, we're all bad guys. Like, we're not supposed to be working together, this isn't friendship, the game. Like, yeah, he was, the game got done, and he was really, uh, really kind of butthurt about the whole thing. Like, I... You're you're playing forever evil. What what do you expect? <laughs> well, there was that game you were that when you were still playtesting uh, Dirty Cops. That one guy where one guy found the exploit, and the uh, then it turned oh. into a yelling match. Yeah, that was that was a disaster. If ever I've seen a disaster, I was just sitting over at my table doing the Dice of Crowns demos and just going, "Oh my god, what's going on over there?" Yeah, that was that was a, that was a guy that like basically set out to make everyone's experience as poor as possible and he said that that his friends won't play take that games with him and when i got done like well yeah i could see why you're (laughs) kind of a jerk like (laughs) i wouldn't want to play with you either like yeah he went out to take out that other guy and then it just kept picking on him and picking on him till the guy got super mad yeah it's one thing to like go after someone because it's advantageous for you in how in the goals you're trying to achieve versus going after someone just because you like kicking a guy that's already down right yeah. right yeah you kind of got the impression this guy was not a nice person in general <laughs> yeah <laughs> <laughs> uh that's pretty funny uh so i have to ask about the name thing 12 games is that that's not a dr seuss reference from like thing one and thing two is it Wow! Nails it in one. Yep. Uh, Whoa! <laughs> it it completely is. So I'll give you the backstory. Um, so my other my other business partner, the the guy I started Thing Twelve Games with, his name is Sean Harold. Uh, his first name spelled the same way as mine, and we worked together at a uh, local handheld game studio. And because we both had the same name, we were both producers. We started calling each other Thing One and Thing Two. It was just easier to refer to each other and know who people were talking about. Uh, so fast forward, you know, to the point that I'm doing my first game and like, hey, you know, we should start a company and put this up on Kickstarter. And we went through a bunch of different names. We're like, well, thing one and thing two, that's, you know, that's kind of who we are. But that's owned by, you know, the, the Dr. Seuss 
conglomerate. You know, we don't want to. We don't want them to come and sue us. But what about saying twelve? Like we kind of like marry those two together. Like, oh yeah, that seems really cool. Then I got one of my uh, one of my buddies, uh, Sun Duong, to do our logo for us. Uh, So we got the two creatures that are in our logo, and he did it up in Seattle colors. So we got the blue and green in there, and, and yeah, that's where it is. Yeah, very cool. Now, Badger, a question for you. This is obviously your first game on Kickstarter. That's my understanding, at least. Yep. Is this the first game you've ever designed, ever? Not in my first game ever, ever, uh, but it's probably like my second. The first game I did that with any sort of real like start-to-finishness other than, hey, that's a cool idea, um, which I'm known for. Sean could tell you sometimes that I'm like, oh, I got this idea in my head, and I'll just rattle on for 20 minutes. Uh, <laughs> I do it constantly. My wife is very patient with me. Uh, but I did a <laughs> robot-themed rummy game where instead of building suits uh, or collections or sets, you built a whole robot. Um, and I had a friend of mine at work do the art. And then, it, you know, it, I made I had it printed once, and then it's sitting in my bag, and that's it. Uh, but this <laughs> is... Dice of Grounds was the first thing start to finish. I tend not to 100% finish projects. I've had a lot of hobbies. So... This one has been a surprise to to me, my wife and I, especially, just because I tend to do fairly cool things and then just go, okay, that's neat. I've learned what I needed to learn, and then I move on. Um, <laughs> like you check the box, and that's it. Yeah. Okay, I learned it. That was cool. I love learning new things. But with the guy, Sean and Sean, Thing 12, um, they've been really great at going, okay, so have you thought about this? Or, hey, are you still working on that? Or, you know we'd really like to go forward with this. So here's what we need, you know, and so they've been kind of pushing me and helping me kind of actually cross that line and go, yeah, I guess I better do something. Um, so it, it's been a really good relationship with those guys, not just because Kickstarter has been very successful, but Sean Epperson here and I have lunch probably twice a week where we'll either play games that we've purchased, which... Uh, is great because not everybody wants to play games with us all the time. Uh, or they're just kind of weird niche games that nobody's really, eh, or just something we got from Kickstarter. So we'll play with, you know, and, and kind of give you, just kind of break it down. and uh, Or we'll play each other's prototypes and kind of rattle off different ideas and, and uh, brainstorm, which hmm. I think has been really effective for me because I'll go, hey, Sean, I got this idea. And he's like, eh, have you thought about, and I'm like, oh, no, no, how about this? And then <laughs> off I go. So that's been really, really useful, really helpful to help me kind of sort of finish a thought finally, because um, I tend not to finish my thoughts. I get to 90% and then I'm done. Yeah, I guess that comes from my experience as a producer where I had to, you know, I'm used to working with designers and artists and programmers and audio folks and, you know, kind of wrangling all that herd of cats and, uh, you know, driving a project forward and to its completion. I think if you're trying to set up to do something by yourself, it's really difficult, whether it's just like, I need to keep myself motivated or or just trying to see something through to completion. When you're working with other people, then there's a bit more of a, there's a bit more importance to it because you feel like you kind of owe them something. There's a little more ownership to it, so... You know, I, I think that that's one of the things that makes our, our partnership work really well. Like, we, we're, we're friends, we like each other, and, and we have a lot of respect for each other. So, you know, that, that plays into it really nicely, too. Well, let's talk more about Dice of Crowns. For those that aren't familiar with the game, haven't seen it yet, tell us what it's about. Uh, so, Dice of Crowns, it's a, it's a small, compact dice game. I like to call it a quick and dirty dice game where you're basically rolling dice and trying to claim the throne 
from the old king who's died. Uh, and you're doing it through basically getting three crowns, trying to avoid being betrayed, represented by three daggers. And so the symbols on the dice sort of represent what the actions you're taking as you're trying to claim the crown uh, while everyone else is trying to claim it as well. Now, when you say quick and dirty, how, how long of a game are we talking about? The basic version can take, you know, five to ten minutes. Um, it's, mm. you know, I've, I have jokingly called it the waiting for drinks version of the game. <laughs> Uh, the advanced version, which we add another token in, to, which will allow you to re-roll dice and force other people to re-roll dice, and goes to a, a higher number of claim tokens, that can take, you know, 15, 20 minutes. It's definitely mm-hmm. light. Like you say, quick and dirty. I like yep. it. So you have these two different versions. Wh- which one did you start with? Like, you know, did, you, did you start with the simpler one, you added this extra mechanic, or did you start with the, the larger one and then kind of trimmed it back? Um, that kind of goes back to my design strategies, if I even have one, but I tend to come up with an idea, uh, a mechanic, typically, I usually, I'm very mechanic driven, and then I'll apply a theme to it, and then I bounce back and forth, and then I immediately start stripping things away from it, trying to get it down to its root simplicity, Hmm. uh, to find, because I, uh, when I'm testing a game at work, you know, for my day job, I try to find the you know each of the systems break them out into smaller components and then analyze each of those and make sure that each of those either work or are fun and things like that so i've applied that to my my sort of extracurricular activity so i have a dice game well i'm going to make sure this core mechanic works and is fun so i did the simple version first and then sean and i were going back and forth at lunch uh several times and we would say oh well what happens when you roll this and then we go well that'd be cool if you did and then we sort of kind of built on that and built a more advanced version that allowed for more strategy and more decision making uh, which the core game doesn't have as much of i think when you presented it to me it had had the the base elements in it and as we kind of kept playing through it uh during lunchtime and whatnot it sort of kept evolving a little bit um but the, the core pieces that are that are in the game were kind of there from the beginning. Yeah, I mean, and, and I've had definitely had people suggest ways to make it more complex, and I, I tend to resist those. Um, mm-hmm. So, an event that uh, where I won the Lucy Award for People's Choice during that sort of interview session, the judges were constantly at, well, you could have this and you could do this. And I was like, I kept wanting to say, no, that's, that's not what I want to do. And I think a lot of people have a tendency to make things overly complex. Um, and I kind of fight that as much as possible. I want it to think if, if I can get the simple, clean, like, you know, bare bones version fun, then I can add stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I don't want to add things just to make it more complex. I don't, that doesn't, that doesn't appeal to me. Well, I think that's one of the strengths of this game is that the basic rules are simple enough that you can teach it to anybody. You know, I've uh, I've played it with my daughter's uh, soccer parents. You know that these aren't gamers. You know, like these are people that have like they'll play Yahtzee maybe you know once a month or something like that with their friends or something. And I've played it with them, and they pick it up right away and have a lot of fun with it. And then the advanced rules have enough meat to them and strategy that I can play it with my core gamer buddies. And they're like, oh, yeah, we love doing this. We love, you know, like, sticking people in the back and, you know, <laughs> screwing this guy over and going after each other. Like, so it, it really works well with everybody. And I think, like, 
adding a bunch of extra garbage on top of it is just, you know, kind of missing the whole point of what makes this a really elegant game. I mean, there's definitely a time and a place for those complexity. Um, if you're playing one of the Fantasy Flight games, you're going to you're gonna expect and you're going to want to have those huge, complex rule sets, but that's not what I built. That's not what I did, went out for. Well, you know, especially a game that lasts 10, 15 minutes, like you say, you want something that's just quick, you're popping it out, you're having a good time, a good quick laugh, and then you move on, you know, it's a... So that's good. Now, obviously, there there are lots of dice games out there. What would you say makes Dice of Crown stand out? There's something that I added to the game, and I explicitly remember making a decision to add it. So it wasn't something that I that I think I borrowed from anything. So I haven't seen it in other games. Uh, but I added a component to reduce downtime between turns to zero, in the sense mm-hmm. that one of the dice faces is a scroll which represents diplomacy and intrigue in a very loose way. But on your turn, when you roll those dice, you have to hand those dice to your, to your opponents, and then they roll the dice. And so there is activity going on for everyone on every turn. And I've, you know, I've played zombie dice games where somebody's on a huge roll, and they're playing for you know, five minutes. Everybody right. else gets bored. They pull out their phone. You know, then you know, that sort of magic moment is lost. Um, there is no downtime. There is no you know, pausing, it's just like, go. Then there's this kind of ebb and flow of people handing dice, you roll scrolls, hand it there, they hand it back, you know, and that becomes a very fun, and everyone everyone in the circle is engaged, whether it's two or six people. And that's, I feel like that's what sets me apart from Zombie Dice, Martian Dice, uh, these other dice games. It's that ebb and flow, and it's zero downtime. Yeah, like we've done, you know, hundreds and hundreds of playtests, you know, at, whether it be at conventions or local game stores or whatever. Or and, waiting for a movie. <laughs> right, or while you're waiting for a movie. Uh, <laughs> and being able to see like a, you know, a five or six player game where everyone stays completely engaged and never has that moment where they pull out their phone to check a message or something like they're they're in because they're continually doing stuff. Uh, it's kind of rare. Yeah, that's that's very clever. Well, so now uh, Dice of Crowns, you guys have been on Kickstarter for what about two weeks now? Seems like a million years. Uh, right. <laughs> <laughs> Just over a couple of weeks. How's it been going so far? Uh, well, we funded in eighteen hours. So that's amazing! Congratulations. <laughs> that, was, that was crazy. Like we we love the game, and through all the different playtesting that we've been doing, we knew that people really loved and enjoyed the game, but as with anything, especially when you're an indie game developer, you really don't know. Like, Kickstarter is kind of the stock market of game development. Like, well, you put something out there and we hope it does well, but you never expect this sort of like, uh, guys, this funded within 24 hours. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Crazy. I mean, every t- like, so at conventions, I mean, I know when I talk to people, they go, oh, this is great. And they get it and they're like, oh, I want to I wanna do this. And But I'm like, okay, so that's me in person talking people into it. So was, I was super concerned that we'd put it up there and we go, I, I, I don't get it. Cause there wasn't that in-person connection that it was the in-person feeling of being able to get it explained and go, Oh yeah, I totally get this. Let's rock. So that was my biggest fear was people just wouldn't get it from the web page. So I have to ask because I'm sure there's going to be plenty of other game designers listening to this and going, Oh, What's the secret? <laughs> so, so now you have to tell us. What's your secret? How did it work? Um, I think there's several aspects to it. Um, so 
one of the things that we did was um, we've been, it's thing 12, uh, has been a part of Playtest Northwest. They're a local company that basically, they're a resource for indie game developers. And so we can go out to all the major cons. Like we've demoed at PAX, we've demoed at Geek Girl Con, we've demoed at Emerald City Comic Con. Uh, you know, I could list off like, you know, four or five other major cons that we've been at in the Pacific Northwest area and down to Portland. And when you're just going and, and doing demos by yourself, you're not going to get into those places and be able to like demo your game. We've got an email list of at least like 150 people. Mm-hmm. And through demoing, we've made a lot of connections with other developers and you know people that have run Kickstarters and all that sort of thing. So, you know, having a, a huge uh, resource pool to pull from and be able to contact has been, I think, was really huge as, as part of it. Uh, second part is the game itself thematically is really in the wheelhouse of your average gamer. Like it's that you know sword and sorcery, you know like Arthurian, you know fantasy, uh, Game of Thrones, you know like whatever, like all that kind of thing is something that a large number of people really really dig and really you know get into. So the theme's great. Uh, you know our, our reach is really good. And then third was the simple fact that the price point was really attractive. Uh, that was something that really we focused on, was trying to make it so we didn't want a really bloated price. We wanted something that people would see and go, well, yeah, I'm going to back that. Look, look at that price. That price is awesome. You know, if, if you look at some of the some of the dice-based games or 10-based games, they're usually within like the $18 to $20 range, where on Kickstarter, our game's 10 bucks. I mean, there's really no risk for someone like, okay, say they they don't trust us at all, they think that we're going to you know, completely botch it, whatever, they're in for $10. Like, <laughs> that's a couple of cups of coffee. You're not really going to be out much if we were to just completely botch it. So I think that really like helped people uh, you know, trust us. And then you know, winning the Lucy Award, that kind of showed a bit, of, a bit more trust that people could have in us. And yeah, just kind of kept snowballing from there. Yeah, I would definitely point out that that Thing 12 did a tremendous amount of work. Like, I know Sean has been doing game demo after game demo after... So, like, there's this tireless sort of energy that he does just to keep showing it to everyone he can. Uh, and then Sean Harold is sitting down and running the numbers over and over and over again. And then, you know, kind of like, no, we can't do this for under 15. And then, like, Sean's like, yeah, we have to do it. And just going back and forth, finding a way... <laughs> Um, and, and that, like, there was a lot of behind the scenes work. So it didn't just like magically appear. There was a ton of hard work. I mean, I designed the game, uh, Sean definitely helped develop it a lot, but the thing 12, like, so basically I think the answer is find a good publisher. I don't know. That's <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, there was a lot of work that was done behind the scenes, a lot of prep work, um, designing the web page, uh, for the dice of crowns. I mean, Chris, who's uh, who's I'm not sure exactly what his title or relationship to Thing Twelve is, but he is a just freaking wizard when it comes to layout and busting out different graphics and making everything just look really amazing. Um, the video was put together super quickly, like all of these pieces. You know, there's a lot of effort that went into that on the back end that people don't necessarily see. And yeah, just pounding the pavement and getting out there and just being gracious and demoing for people and, and creating a fun atmosphere when you're demoing. Um, I've, 
I've playtested with people before, and when they're demoing their game, they don't really they don't really sell it, right? It doesn't look like they're enjoying their game. Like, how how am I supposed to enjoy this game if the person they created isn't enjoying it? Uh, so when you're demoing, you really have to have that sort of like salesman presenter face on and, and be able to really engage your audience. Um, and it's a lot of hard work. Yeah. Like there's been tons, tons of weekends. Like anytime that there is an open playtesting spot uh, within uh, Playtest Northwest, or if there's a store that's willing to let me demo somewhere, I'm there. You know, yeah. Rain or shine, whatever weekend, I'll drive wherever to make it happen. Yeah, I definitely got a crash course in that doing um, doing the Lucy standing up at the table with sub- seven really fine, awesome games, and just hey, you want to talk about my game? Hey, you talk about my game? Like hey, this is really cool, and like just oh my god, that was exhausting. I mean, Sean and I would get to the end of it, as I'm sure you know, uh, would just go, oh my god, I'm just exhausted, <laughs> <laughs> mentally and physically just worn out from talking. When it comes to Kickstarter, and you're an indie person. Every person counts, and you really have to like treat them like that. You know, uh, be really gracious with them, and, and respond to your backers. Uh, that's another thing we've been doing: having a high level of customer service, so that people go, "Oh, wow, these guys really seem to care about me. They they care about the fact that I'm investing in them." Mm-hmm. Well, now that you've blasted through your main goal, you obviously have some. Stretch goals working on. Uh, I saw you already blasted past most of those. You have more <laughs> coming up, or what's what's the next step? Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, that was another thing is that we we planned our stretch goals out uh, pretty smartly. We didn't want to get into a situation where we we did, had some runaway success and then like guys were out of stretch goals. So you know that's that's <laughs> something that any kind of Kickstarter runner really has to think about is like plan those things smartly and present them smartly so that you're able to, you know, keep people engaged and people like seeing achievements and like, you know, seeing the game progress. Being a smaller game, we were kind of locked into like, well, we can't throw a lot of extra stuff into the game. Right. So it's really about increasing the quality. And so that's what really what we've been doing. Like we've gone from smaller dice to larger dice. We've gone from dice that had a silk screened image on it to really cool etched dice. The next one that we're going to hit is uh, larger tokens that are etched as well. So yeah, we, we spent a lot of time uh, beforehand with Darren and Chris and Sean and Sean just talking through things. We have an e- like we probably have like five active email threads going right now. So <laughs> we're constantly sort of like, hey, did you think about this? Or, you know, hey, I'm not super happy with the rules. Let's let's go back to that again and make sure that we've got this just right. And, you know, pushing and throwing out different ideas. Hey, this is, this is a thought. What about, you know, our this other game did this well. You know, maybe we could, you know, it just... There's a good flow of ideas and information, and I don't think anybody feels like there. There's one person like kind of driving everything. I know Sean and Sean, they're producers, and so they know how to sort of encourage you without actually, you know, telling you what to do, uh, and they do it well. Uh, but it it has been a really collaborative effort with the two artists, um, then with Think Twelve and the, and me as a design. So it's been a, a really interesting process. And a lot of thought has gone into it, not just, hey, I'll just throw this out there and see if anybody likes it. Instant money, Kickstarter. That's <laughs> definitely not how that works. Now that you guys are Kickstarter superheroes, knocked it out of the park. <laughs> Give us one one gem of advice for someone who's launching their first campaign. 
make sure the game is accessible. Because I'll see stuff on Kickstarter and I'll just go, I, wait, uh, w- wait, what? I, I, don't, I don't get it. What do you, you know, I mean, it looks cool. And obviously you put a lot of time into it, but what? You know, and so I, I kind of feel like making a game, making sure a game is accessible. Uh, whether, even if it's complex, you can still make it accessible. You can make it, you know, if it depends on how you explain it. Make sure make sure your video tells you what the game is. I mean, I've, I've looked at Kickstarters and just gone, nope. I can't. Ma- I can't understand half the things you're saying, and I don't know what it is. <laughs> so no, you're not going to get my money because there's a lot of competition now. So I mean, just be very clear. How to play videos probably help a ton. There is a lot of competition for sure. You got to step your game up. You know, there, there's countless times where I'll look through the the games that are on there, and I'll see arts like, uh, yeah. Yeah, that art's just not up to par for, you know, what people are kind of expecting. And you really have to be brutal and brutally honest with yourself about, like, you know, what you're putting out there and take a look and, like, is this competing with people, other people that are doing something, you know, within my my realm? And do lots of playtesting, you know, get feedback from people because people will be brutal with you. Like, don't just playtest with your friends. Don't playtest with your family. Go out there and playtest with people that don't know you and give them, you know, like, we're lucky that going with Playtest Northwest, we have these really nice feedback forms. And people can be, you know, as blunt and as they want because they're writing down their feedback and, you know, they can go off and do their thing. And so I, we've had people just, like, tear, tear us up on some some of my past games, you know, we're like, oh, I don't like this. Well, and there's like, wow, okay, cool. But you need that sort of stuff. Like, if your art's bad, they're gonna let you let you know, and that's important stuff. And be able, be willing to change that. You no, know, that's that's what you're putting out there. So, yeah, I would I would echo that statement on playtesting because you know I I came up with the idea. I was like, oh, this is totally gonna work, and then um, you know I would throw in a pass Sean and tell like, oh, okay, maybe this works, and then you start playing it without in the real world. And, you know, people walk up and say, I don't really like dice games. What do you got? You know, and and so you've got to kind of, like, get past that with them and show them, hey, here's the game. And if you can get somebody that's like, oh, I don't even like this genre, and then it, by the end they're having fun, mm-hmm. then you've got something. You know, it's like, and then listen to what people say. You know, they're going to, everyone's going to have an idea, um, and 90% of them are probably are garbage. Uh, but they're, <laughs> they're good to have. You know, if, if everyone complains about a certain thing, or people keep suggesting fixes to a certain area, whether you agree with their fixes or not, maybe it's time to drill down to that area in your game and go, this isn't really appealing. They're not getting it. They want to fix it somehow. And their fixes are just weird. So maybe <laughs> I need to, how can I fix this? And how can I address this in my game? Well, Sean and Badger, it's time for me to confess the truth of this podcast. Dun, dun, dun. That's right. Here's, this is the big unveil, is that the real reason this podcast even exists is so that we can play the Game Design Challenge. Okay. And, and here's how this works. The Game Design Challenge, I will pick a random theme out of my big old fat list of game themes. I will give it to the two of you. You can discuss it, mull over, and then pitch back to me what that game might be, how it might work. Oh, cool. Okay. You guys up for that? Oh, totally. Okay, fantastic. So I'm going to... Can't promise it's going to be good. Well, no, they're they're always amazing. I don't know what you're talking about. (laughs) Well, I'm I'm here to break the streak then. (laughs) 
<laughs> okay, well, when you hear your theme, you're going to know it's going to be good, because all my themes are amazing. <laughs> oh, and you're Okay, here we go. Picking the theme. It is going to be... Oh, yeah, this is a good one. Okay. Bankrupt Mages. Bankrupt Mages. Let's see. Okay. okay. So if you're if you're a bankrupt mage, you your to... goal is probably obviously going to need to acquire some sort of finance, right? Well, the other thing I think, as soon as he said bankrupt, I thought of banks. So maybe we have bank robbing mages. Ooh. <laughs> oh, there you go. So yeah, and they could actually be using spells as a way to, like, instead of guns, you're using spells. So it's almost like a heist game yeah. uh, with magic overlaid. So maybe you've got you've got a series of challenges where you've got to get in the door, you've got to pacify the people in the bank, you've got to get past the vault door, and then you've got to get away before the cops come. Oh, and the other the other player could actually be. What if the other player, like one of the other players, like a one v many, where one yeah. of the players is working as the cops, and so they're having to try and like find out information about you like they they get known and so now they have to like build up their forces and they have to go in and try and do battle with you yeah maybe if each of the so if you have different character types or uh, different types of mages like maybe they're from different schools um that have the sort of the rocks scissors, paper so you've got fire ice earth those types of things and so maybe you've got a series of spells that you you can use to achieve your goals and the other guy is trying to figure out which set of goals that or which set of powers uh, you have, so they can try to counter them and set up traps. So if there's a bunch of fire mm. mages, maybe he's going to set up a, a, a water trap or something. Yeah, I like that. For some reason, I see the police force as almost being uh, robotic, or not re- necessarily robotic, but maybe like automaton, right? Something that maybe like magic resistant, like golem or at least or have, something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or you know, have maybe that's like they've got a golem on their police force, but they have to. He, they don't have access to him right away. You know, they have they have some weaknesses where maybe they have one guy that's weak to the fire school of magic and another guy that's more weak to the water school, but he's really powerful against, you know, another school of magic. Maybe. So if, if we go to the stages I was thinking about, so maybe each, maybe there's like five turns. So those are those five different areas. And, you know, one set side sets down their cards. The other side sets down their cards thinking about what they might be able to to counter and then everybody flips at the same time but that reveals a certain amount of information about the spells that they're using back and forth so maybe the the golems like oh he put down a bunch of earth ones so he thinks i'm you know this type of wizard so maybe i'll next time i'll i'll use some of these that maybe not as effective but will go against what he thinks i'm going to do ah yeah I do love that the idea of double blind. That's that one game that we I was trying on you at lunch the other day. Yeah. So the so the players aren't really working together. They're working against each other, but for a communal goal. Oh, that could of... be cool. Because I was thinking that the players could confer and then put down the cards they think are best, but maybe they can't confer. Maybe bring in some of the social elements. So they so the the players are ostensibly have the same goal, but aren't talking to each other as much. Maybe they can work in small increments um, or small like coded language but not nothing too deep so they're trying to figure out what their compatriots are doing as well as how to counter the resistance of the guards 
What if, like, we actually just let, you would let them let them talk, let them you know wheel and deal as much as they want, but there's one winner in their team, right? So they they need to work together in order to get the money and get out of the bank and you know fight off the police force. But there's ultimately one person is going to have the the bulk of the gold. So so maybe they're fighting for their. Cuts. When are they going to turn on each other? You know, and like when's that one person to go? Oh, he's you know he's he's making out the door, so I gotta you know like screw him up in some way so I can get the cash. <laughs> maybe or maybe you've got like hidden like uh, hidden objectives. So like if you cast these certain spells in this order, you'll get a bigger cut. Uh, which may or may not go with what the plan of the group is. So, you know, if you can, you know, they say, okay, well, we think they're ice ones, so we'll need fire. Like, well, I don't know, maybe Earth will work, or maybe I'll do this. And, and that's really what your, your hidden agenda is. So you're trying to basically kind of convince everyone that your plan is better so that you can use the things you want in your hidden cards without giving away that that's your hidden card. Right. I like this. <laughs> you guys are pros. This is basically lunch time for us. I mean, this is what we do. It's really kind of silly. <laughs> well, Sean and Badger, it's been a real pleasure talking with you this evening. Awesome, sir. Well, thanks Thank for having us much. on, man. It was really great talking to you. Yeah, good times. And and best of luck with the rest of your campaign. Thanks. Yeah, yeah. there's uh, there's more stuff uh, in store for people, so... Uh, yeah, uh, if they start and jumping on the jumping on the bandwagon that everybody else seems to be jumping on, uh, we'll have some uh, good times for them. Yeah, I mean, if nothing else, we now we know, and that's a, it's sort of a comfort that the game will be made like that. I was so worried that you know we would get to like just barely, and it wouldn't maybe not get made, but like no, you know we know the game is going to get made. It will be out there. People will get to enjoy it. Uh, they will be backstabbing galore, and it will be all. Awesome. <laughs> yeah, very cool. Very cool. All right, well, best of luck, and we'll talk to you both later. All right, cool. Thanks. Thanks. Take care, guys. Well, that was Sean Epperson, one of the founders of Thing 12 Games, and Brander Roulette, a.k.a. Badger, the creator of Dice of Crowns, currently on Kickstarter. You've been listening to Your Tables on Fire. Check out our website for show notes and other details. That's www.yourtablesonfire.com. You can also follow us on Twitter at Tablefire. We're on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, and of course, Board Game Geek. Hit up any of those sites and give us a review. We'd love to hear what you think. Well, until next time, go light it up. Yeah.